Psalm 23. I'm going to spend the next three weeks walking us through this most known and beloved of psalms. If you look down at your Bible, you'll notice this psalm, which is also a song of sorts, has three stanzas. You'll see a space after verses 1 through 3, and then you'll see another space after verse 4. Those are my divisions. We'll spend today looking at verses 1 through 3, the next week at verse 4, and the third and final week at verses 5 and 6. I want you to see, by God's grace, that this is indeed a psalm for every season. For today, for tomorrow, and for forever. Today, we'll see that this is a psalm, well, for today, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of our God. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Join me now as we pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would come and that you would grip us. This is very familiar, and so I pray that you would protect us from the notion of tuning this out. Help us to see, sense, and feel the weight and wonder of this most known and beloved of Psalms. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've just read the world's most famed an acclaimed poem. There are none more recognized in all world literature than Psalm 23. It's indeed regarded widely as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Believers alone aren't familiar with Psalm 23. If you were to poll the average unbeliever that rarely, if ever, darkens the door of a Christian church, most in a westernized culture would somehow, some way, be generally familiar with this old shepherd's psalm. It's become a part of the lexicon of Western literature. It is the most famed and acclaimed of all poems. The, none are more recognized, consequently, none are more recited. This is a psalm that you hear time and again, do you not, in both weddings and funerals. It's recited time and again at children's bedside and in a hospital bedside. You probably have heard this psalm more than any other proclaimed by both preachers and even presidents. Most recently, on the evening of the darkest day in all of our lives, September the 11th, 2001, our then-president, George W. Bush, cited the 23rd Psalm from the Oval Office in his address to the Union. Indeed, perhaps the most famous of our American presidents, Abraham Lincoln, it is reported that the 23rd Psalm was a source of strength and solace for him in the darkest days of the Civil War. He would return to it evidently again and again, and it would strengthen him as the Union was being held together by it seemed like just uh, little tiny fibers at that point. The 23rd Psalm, none more recognized, none more recited, None, it seems, more reassuring. The famed Charles Spurgeon once said, there is no psalm that has more charmed all of our earthly griefs than any other philosophy of the world. Psalm 23 has been a balm for believers and unbelievers alike. And I want to submit to you today that this psalm that is more recognized and recited and reassuring than any other, I hope you can sense 
that it is as relevant as can be. It is indeed a psalm for every season. And my suspicion is that there are a great many of you in this room that are quietly questioning my argument. The minute you heard that I was preaching Psalm 23, some of you were disappointed because you know for the last two summers I've been preaching Revelation. And you're like, I was hoping he would go to Revelation 20. He did 22 two years ago. He did 21. I already had several of you tell me that this morning. Thank you. I want you to see that though this psalm may feel too familiar, I get that, it may just feel way too familiar. You've heard the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you feel like you know it. I I want you to hold on with me. Some of you may think that this psalm is just too foreign in its imagery. I mean, I bet none of you in this room, unless you grew up as a member of FFA, the Future Farmers of America, you probably don't really get the imagery of Psalm 23. Who amongst us really knows or has interacted with a shepherd or, or many sheep? And if that's you, you're wondering if it's too foreign, too familiar. This has been my earnest prayer this week as I've prepared. I'm asking that the Lord would come and drive away the fog of foreign imagery for you. I'm praying that you would see with new eyes the masterful portrait that is painted of our good God in this 23rd Psalm. I've asked that the Lord would come and drown out the hum of familiarity that this Psalm probably has in your ear. You just feel like you know it. You probably have it memorized. Several of you probably didn't even need to look down at your Bible as I read it, though you probably memorized it in the King James like most of us did. Believe me, I've almost, I almost preached it multiple times at the 8 o'clock service in the King James. Yay, though I walk through the valley. I want you to see with me, I want you to hear with me, that this is indeed one of the sweetest of songs. So come now, lend your ear, hear what is in my judgment, the matchless melody of this immortal chorus sung by none other than the sweet psalmist himself, David. The superscription at the top of the psalm even reads, a psalm of David. David penned this, and as this sweetest of psalmists, he sung a chorus, which I believe we find in verse 1, which by way of reminder, when you think of a song, most people naturally think of the chorus. It's the, it's the central argument of any given song. I think verse 1 is that. And as we read verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Did you notice how odd the next phrase is? I shall not want Perhaps this has become so familiar to you, it doesn't even strike you as odd. How could any of us with integrity say, I shall not want? Now, the word want literally means lack. It's not necessarily referring to desires. The argument is saying, if God is your God, you won't lack anything. You won't need anything. But is that true? Could we actually with integrity say, I shall not want? My contention is that you can sing with me and David and all the saints of history, I shall not want if you can grip that the Lord is your shepherd. Let me phrase it as simply as I know how. I'm going to state what I believe is the main argument of this text, and I pray it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. We're going to spend the rest of our time today unpacking what I mean by this simplest of phrases. All you need, dear church, 
you have in Him. Now, do you believe that? How could we actually say all we need, we have in Him? You can say that if you figure out who the Him is. Who do we speak of? We speak of the Lord who is my shepherd. Let's just take all five of those beautiful words and pick them apart briefly together. The Lord is my shepherd. Not a Lord, not one of the Lords, the exclusive God. There is but one God, the Lord is my shepherd. But this is no mere Lord. Did you notice what the text says? You may have read it and thought it was a typo. Did you notice that contrary to what your grammar teacher taught you, they capitalized every letter of the word Lord, the capitalized Lord is my shepherd? When you see all capitals, that is the writer's way of indicating for us that this is the highest and holiest name for God in all the Bible. It is indeed the great name Yahweh revealed to us in Exodus 3 at the burning bush when he says, I am who I am. Perhaps you're more familiar with the Latinized word for Yahweh, Jehovah. This is unlike the Hebrew name Adonai, which you'll see in normal case, capital L, and then lowercase o-r-d. If you see them all capitalized, this is Yahweh, the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is eternally existent, who created all, sustains all, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. You can say, I shall not want, because the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Not was my shepherd, not will be, might be, could be, should be. He is my shepherd. He is always, he always was, he always will be. The Lord is, but take heart, this is not some ethereal faraway God. This is the Lord who is my shepherd. It is a personal intimate God. In fact, if you read Psalm 23 and circle all the personal pronouns, you'll find 17 times me or my or I is found in this passage. This is a God who is near and personal. The Lord is my... And here comes the archaic image. Shepherd. Now I'm going to spend the rest of our sermon unpacking what he means by the word shepherd. But suffice it to say, when he says the Lord is my shepherd, he in essence means the Lord cares for me, knows me, owns me, and I depend on him completely. Do you know what he means when he says the Lord is my shepherd? One great troubling implication for us is it means you and I are sheep. And we're going to pick out what it means for God to be our shepherd and for we to be his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Praise God. That means since this God, the Lord, is my shepherd, I have no needs. I, I don't have to worry about anything. Healthier people, wealthier people, they may have wants, but not me. I don't need those things because the Lord is my shepherd. But the great question we ought to ask, and I trust most of you in this room are privately thinking, that preaches good, Pastor, but how? 
How does he actually shepherd me? How can I actually say with integrity, I shall not want? There are four ways in this text he reveals himself to us as our shepherd. There are four ways in these three verses that he makes abundantly clear that all of our needs are met in him. And I didn't make this up. This is coming straight from the text. Did you notice in verses 2 and 3, four times he says, he does something to me. Verse 2, He makes me. Verse 2, He leads me. Verse 3, He restores my. Verse 3, He leads me. Those are the four ways He reveals Himself to be our shepherd, caring for us as only He can. And I want you to see from these four truths unpacked from these poetic verses, four reasons why you and I can sing with the psalmist, all our needs are met in him. If you're taking notes, mark this down firstly. He gives us rest when we're restless. Rest when we're restless. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now remember, this is a poem. It's a song. This is an allegorical image. So I'm going to spend the rest of our sermon showing you the image for the sheep and the uh, shepherd and then applying it to how we function as sheep to our great shepherd. you got to recall with the psalmist that the sheep of old, I trust the sheep of today, are by nature restless creatures. There's a famed book written on this uh, passage by a man named Philip Keller. Uh, And this gentleman was a former shepherd who ended up writing at length the shepherd imagery behind the psalm. It is a tremendous book. It's like called Reflections on Psalm 23 or something like that. And in this book, he describes there are four factors that cause sheep to be restless. And I just want you to hear these four factors because they are going to sound eerily similar to you and to me. He says sheep will not lay down. They will not rest. They are naturally restless as long as these four things are at play. One is sheep are naturally fearful creatures. Just a bunny coming across the field can spook them and sheep will go running. So they're naturally restless unless there is a shepherd in the midst. And oddly, strangely, wonderfully, if a human shepherd is standing in a flock of sheep, the sheep are at ease and their fears are finally reassured. If the shepherd is not near, if his presence is not felt, they are naturally fearful. Not only fear, but another factor that causes this restlessness for sheep is uh, uh, foes, like bugs, uh, ticks, uh, little flies that would get in the nose. The sheep are naturally just irritable when there is not a shepherd nearby that can soothe them by putting some oil in their nose or causing them to have all of these little irritants be driven away. There's fear. There's foes. Also, friction commonly causes sheep to be restless. Do you know sheep are social creatures like us? Sheep are naturally fighting with one another, trying to edge themselves out as leaders of the flock. But oddly, strangely... Keller testifies that when a shepherd is in the midst, all of a sudden the sheep stop trying to vie for position and they all follow the lead of the shepherd. You've got fear, friction, foes, and fourth and finally, famine, hunger. And it's no shock that if a sheep is hungry, he's going to be restless. He won't lay down till he finds green pastures, which only a shepherd can lead him to. And do you all see the painfully apparent imagery correlation between a sheep And you and me? Strange, is it not? 
that our Lord in his infinite wisdom deemed that an abiding analogy, a word picture for us to understand our relationship to him is that he is a shepherd to we who are like sheep. For are we not like sheep in this sense? Are we not naturally restless from fear? Anxiety is gripping us and we are constantly trying to hold on by dear life to our circumstances in our lives? Are we not naturally trying to control our environment? If only we would notice the presence of our good shepherd, only then would all of our fears be reassured. If, if only we would cast our cares upon him, knowing that we have a good shepherd that cares for us. Oh, would you throw yourself upon the loving, tender care of your shepherd who is near, who is present. We, like sheep, are restless with fear. We're restless with friction. What marriage in this room is not plagued with friction? What apparent relationship in this room between parents and children is not plagued with friction? What friendship in this very congregation is not plagued with friction? If only the Good Shepherd were leading the way. If only it was He who was standing in our presence. Only then would we stop looking at all of the relational dynamics at play and we would in one accord follow the Good Shepherd. Are we not like sheep? Fearful? Filled with relational friction, bothered by all the irritating foes of life. It's the small things that can get you, right? Have you noticed that it's just a bunch of cumulative little irritants in your life that can have this overall effect that it just squelches your walk with the Lord? Times are sweet in the Bible, and then all of a sudden, all these little irritants start building up, and then you start functioning like a practical atheist, as if there is not a God, as if there is not a shepherd, and you try to take care of it yourself. If only you would flee to your good shepherd, who alone can soothe you, uh, can cause the irritants to fade in the light of his glory and of his grace. Are, are we not like sheep? Are we not like sheep? Perhaps many of you in this room are restless because you're hungry. And I don't mean hungry because it's 10.30. I mean you are hungry for the Word. And you haven't been feasting. You come once a week, you hear the Word proclaimed to you, and you trust that that is a meal that will satisfy you till next Sunday. And oh, if you are not in the Word self-feeding daily, you like a sheep will be restless. You will be famined. You will be constantly wandering, trying to satisfy your hunger with that which will never satisfy. So come to the shepherd who alone can give rest to your restless soul. He leads you to these uh, green pastures. Oh, praise God for a good shepherd. There's little wonder then why the famed theologian of the early church, St. Augustine, once remarked, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Oh, would you come to your shepherd and find rest for your restless soul. But the image continues. I want you to see secondly, as he continues this story, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Praise God, he gives us rest for our restless soul. But I want you to see secondly, he leads us beside the still waters. Let me frame it for you like this. Not only does he give rest when we're restless, he gives us peace when we're peaceless. The image of still waters is stunning. Now, it's no shock to you that sheep, like all creatures, require water. They get thirsty like us. It's probably also not a surprise that sheep, when they are thirsty, are restless. They're peaceless. They are seeking for water. And it probably doesn't surprise you that sheep will naturally settle 
for any water they can find. And oftentimes, they'll settle for dirty, murky, parasite-ridden water. They'll, they'll go to bad water. Does it actually satisfy them? No, it feels good in the moment, but it'll actually render them ill. It's similar to us drinking from the ocean. It sounds like it's going to be good if you're really thirsty, but the salt content is going to kill you. So too, sheep often settle. But what's wild is even though they need a shepherd to lead them to clean water, what's wild is when the shepherd leads them to good water, they won't drink it because it's oftentimes moving. Have you ever noticed that still water is water you don't really want to drink? If you're out in the wild, you want to see water that's moving, but they're afraid of it. They get scared of the moving water. They're naturally peaceless, fearful. They require a shepherd to still the water. Now, why are they afraid? Remember the image of a sheep. They are woolen, and that wool can get very heavy if it's wet. And so if a sheep gets into running water and the water gets on its wool, it can easily tip them over. They'll fall backwards into the water and drown. The weight of their wet wool prevents them from standing up. So they're naturally fearful of it. It requires the shepherd to come, and oftentimes they would dam up the creek so that the water that was rushing down would dam up and it would create still water downstream so that the sheep could come and drink water that was less of a risk of tipping them over. And I wonder, do you guys see the analogy for you and for me? How similar are we to sheep? who in our natural thirst, and we are all born thirsty creatures, how often do we settle for that which will never satisfy? How many of us think, if only I had a better spouse, a bigger house, a nicer job, a nicer car, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be satisfied. And so we pursue it. And what happens? It is the essence of sin. We go to what we think to be greener pastures, and is it ever? Sin, by definition, is a lie. It looks good. It always leaves you wanting. It always leaves you thirsty. And so, many of you have come today because you have heard that there is cool, clean, good, fresh waters that are flowing here. And so you've come to drink it, but you're scared. You're fearful because you know if you drink of these waters... It might take you in, so to speak. If you consume of these living waters flowing from the pulpit week by week, you know it will make demands on your life. It will change you. It may tip you over, so to speak. You will be baptized, as it were. You will be different. You will leave your old ways. And so you're startled. You're hesitant. You don't want to come. And my word to you is the shepherd has called you to come to still waters, to drink and be satisfied. The precious promise of scripture is if you drink of these living waters, you will never thirst again. You will experience a peace that surpasses understanding. So if you are peaceless this hour, come to the good shepherd who will not only give rest for your restless heart, he will grant you this day peace for your peaceless heart. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores your soul. Now you may read that and think, has he broken the analogy? That's an odd thing to say about a sheep. Is he still talking about a sheep? There is some debate, but I believe he is. Because in this picture of restoration, restoring the soul of the creature, he is in all likelihood recollecting a fact 
that is part of the sheep's DNA. Sheep, by nature, often tip over and fall into a position called being cast, which means being upside down and unable to right themselves back up. They, in other words, find themselves in a hopeless position where they cannot in their own strength get upright. I want you to see from this picture of a sheep needing to be restored from this cast upside down position that our great God, our good shepherd, not only gives rest when you're restless and peace when you're peaceless, he can give you hope when you're hopeless. Let's pick apart the picture of the sheep being cast and then see the analogy for you and for me. What would cause a sheep to fall into this cast position? Well, there's a few reasons why a sheep would naturally tip over and get stuck. Oh, for the one hand, a sheep would naturally get cast into this position because they got a, just a little too comfortable. Sheep would find a nice, smooth, soft, easy, comfortable place to sleep, but it was typically kind of indented, or perhaps there was foliage, and when they would lay down on it, they would settle in, and they would end up kind of like leaning back and leaning back, and before you knew it, they were so comfortable, they could not right themselves. They were probably also getting not just too comfortable, but maybe a little too heavy. Either their woolen coat had gotten so thick with all the br bristles and all the dirt and muck of the pasture stuck to it, or maybe they themselves had grown fat from eating that they could not actually right themselves back up. They were probably also not just too comfortable and too heavy. Perhaps they had gotten too weary. Their legs were weak, and they just did not have the physical strength to right themselves back up. Or probably what is most common was that the sheep had wandered too far away. They had gotten off the paths of the shepherd and had fallen into terrain that caused them to stumble and fall. And do you guys see yet again how beautifully uh, appropriate this image is for you and for me? For are we not like sheep in this sense? How often have we found ourselves cast down, so to speak, spiritually? where we, like sheep, have gotten so comfortable, so at ease in Babylon that we have just relaxed in the world. We are in the world and of the world, and we are so in it that we can't get out of it. We are cast down, so to speak, and you wonder why you're so downtrodden when all you are imbibing day in, day out, week in, week out, uh, month in, month out, is the symphony of the society when there is a sweet melody coming from our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is a shepherd who can come and free you from the ease in Babylon. Perhaps you've gotten too heavy, so to speak. The woolen coat you carry has all the muck and mire of the world. You have just been so worldly, so to speak, that you are weighed down and you have totally forgotten the freedom that comes in the strong, everlasting arms of our good shepherd. And maybe you have found yourself now in this position. You have wandered far from God. I wonder how many lost sheep are in this room. How many of you are in the far country, so to speak? You have decided to do what's right in your own eyes. You have wandered away. If that is you, I plead that you would lend me your ear. There is a shepherd who is calling you who is promising you that He can give you hope when you are otherwise hopeless. 
You who are following at a distance, He is bidding you come and follow Him. He will restore you when you are weary. He will rescue you when you are lost. He will refresh you, my friends, when you have fallen down. Oh, come to the shepherd who alone can give you rest when you're restless. Peace when you're peaceless. Hope when you're hopeless. But we dare not conclude our study without seeing this fourth and final image we see in the latter half of verse 3. He not only grants us rest when we're restless, He makes us lie down in green pastures. He not only grants us peace when we're peaceless, He leads us beside the still waters. He not only grants us hope when we're hopeless, He restores our soul. Fourthly, I want you to see, He grants you help when you're helpless. He leads you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I hesitate to say this because you've heard it so many times, but one additional quality of sheep is not only that they are restless creatures and peaceless creatures and hopeless creatures often, they're often, fourthly, helpless creatures. They're not terribly smart. They often wander off the well-worn paths of the shepherd. If you knew a pasture in ancient Palestine, you can go there today and see this. In these pastures where flocks would uh, feed, there are these ruts, these little paths that are lined all through the fields. There are well-worn paths that all the sheep follow. But sheep tend to be self-assertive creatures. Oftentimes, there will be a sheep that would wander away, like the sheep that left the 99 in the parable. Sheep would often wander. They wanted to do their own thing. But these self-assertive creatures would prove to be self-destructive creatures. For often they would wander off the path in search of their own pasture. And they would often wander into barren, eaten over pastures that would not nourish them. And they would there consequently die if it weren't for a shepherd coming and finding them and bringing them back to the right paths. In fact, when you see the word paths of righteousness, that word righteousness literally means right. It is a right path, a straight path. Do you guys see, fourthly again, do you see how the image is so appropriate for us? For who amongst us has not admitted at one point or another that we like sheep are a self-assertive bunch? Any of you parents in this room know this as a fact. I'm shocked I didn't hear an amen. Are we not self-assertive creatures? Isaiah captures it beautifully when he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that is the essence of sin. Doing what's right in our own eyes following the dictates of our own will, wandering off the well-worn paths, thinking we'll do what's right in our own eyes. And have you found that every time you wander off the well-worn path of the shepherd, your self-assertion leads to self-destruction? For every time you wander off that path, you end up going to a barren field that will never satisfy you, will not nourish you. It proves wanting. And there is a good shepherd. Oh, praise God. Ours is a shepherd that was beautifully, poetically captured in Luke 15 in that famed parable of the lost sheep where there is a shepherd who left the 99 and he goes and he finds the one. Every last one of you in this room, to one degree or another, has this testimony 
that you were once a self-assertive, self-destructive sheep wandering off the path, and there was a good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and he found you. He got you, and the Bible says that he did so for his name's sake, which means he did it for the glory of his name. He did it on the basis of his own reputation. He did these things for you so that all would know he is a shepherd who does not lose any of his sheep. Praise God that you who were helpless have help in a good shepherd. Praise God that you who were hopeless find hope in a good shepherd. Praise God we who were peaceless find peace with our good shepherd. Praise the Lord. We who are naturally, endlessly restless can find rest in our good shepherd. All we need, we have in him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But is he your shepherd? You, you shouldn't assume the answer to that question is yes. And do you want to know why? Because biblically, do you want to know what's the most natural normal, appropriate allegory for us, analogy for us, word picture for us. It's not a sheep. For the Bible makes painfully clear that we are by nature wolves, goats, wild creatures. So how do we become sheep? You are only a sheep when you are purchased by a shepherd. You only become a sheep when there is a shepherd who knows your name, calls your name, counts you amongst his flock. And praise be to God, there is such a shepherd in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how did he purchase you? Oh, have you forgotten the great pictures of Jesus in the New Testament? Just consider what John describes Jesus as. John calls Jesus the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. That's John 10. In other words, he purchased you by dying for you. Oh, you have a good shepherd who has died to buy you back. Ours is not just a good shepherd. The writer of Hebrews describes him as a great shepherd. The writer of Hebrews says, our great shepherd has been risen from the dead. Ours is not a dead shepherd. He is a live, risen, reigning shepherd. He died for you. He rose for you. And praise be to God that the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, reminds us that ours is not just a good shepherd who died for us. Ours is not just a great shepherd who rose for us. Ours is a chief shepherd who is coming again for us, he tells us. So our great shepherd died for you, was raised for you, and is coming again for you. Ours is an abiding, living hope. We are sheep of a great, good, chief shepherd. All we need, we have in him. And if you want to taste the glory of that great verse, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you want to join the cosmic chorus of all creation and sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you want to finally understand that sweetest but strangest of phrases, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The call to you this day is to come to the chief good and great shepherd of your souls. You come and taste and see, I shall not want. Join me as we pray. With your heads bowed as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment, perhaps you need to cry out to God and confess your restless, peaceless, altogether hopeless and helpless state of your soul. You need to confess that you have strayed far from your shepherd and you have been reminded anew from the 23rd Psalm that yours is a good, loving, gracious God who is providing all you need in Jesus. In a moment, Calvin will lead us in a song and as he leads us, the call to you is to respond, whether privately in your seat or publicly. There will be some pastors down here at the front. They're here to pray with you. They're not standing facing you in the aisle, but they're down here at the front. Come down. You will not be standing here awkwardly waiting for somebody. They are here to pray with you. You come now as we sing, and may the Lord do what I cannot. And that's so move in this room that we could in one accord sing with full assurance of faith, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Father in heaven, to the glory of Jesus, and by the power of your spirit, so move in this room that every restless, peaceless, hopeless and helpless heart would find rest, peace, hope, and help in you, our good shepherd. Oh, we want to sing with full assurance of faith. You, oh God, are our shepherd. We shall not want. All of our needs are met in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet.